All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up to two places for me this morning. The first one is Matthew chapter 9. That's where we are today. I want you to hold a finger in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin um, in verse number 18. And then I would like for you to turn with me, if you will, to the parallel account of this story in Luke's gospel in chapter 8. So in Luke chapter 8, say amen when you get there. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse number 40 we find the parallel account. Luke 40, chapter 8, verse 40, the parallel account of two healings. Now, in Matthew's gospel, where we are, as you guys know, if you've been with us for a couple weeks, we have been studying through a section of the gospel of Matthew in the first 10 chapters, the culmination of this first section. Well, we, in 6 and 7, 5, 6 and 7, Jesus um, teaches the Sermon on the Mount. And, he, and as a great teacher and the greatest sermon that was ever preached and something that was radical and turned so many ideas and thoughts on its head. And Jesus establishes himself as the, the greatest teacher and thinker and um, rabbi that's, that's ever taught or lived. So then he leaves that of just being a teacher and he begins to put some feet to his faith and begins to perform miracles. And then Matthew records for us on purpose a series of 10 miracles where Jesus is absolutely proving his power over every dominion, over every um, part of life. And in the first week, he begins by um, getting outside the box. And culturally to Jews, they, they, they were oppressed by the Romans and they didn't like the Romans. Women in the Jewish society of Jesus' day didn't have a lot of respect and rights and, and things like they do today. And the position of women that's been elevated by Christ and by Christianity to the place where it belongs. And, and, they, and they, they didn't like women or they didn't have rights. And they, um, and they didn't... Um, women, Gentiles... What was the last one? I'm going to think of it in a minute. But anyways, Jesus getting outside the box, he heals the, oh, the Roman, the Gentile. He heals the Roman, the centurion soldier. And, he, and, you know, again, it was something that was kind of shocking for them. But Jesus is getting out of the box and he's beginning this miracle. And he touches this woman and heals her. Oh, the third one was the leper. And he touches the leper who was really, again, society-wise, was an untouchable. And Jesus could have just spoke the word and healed him, but Jesus puts his hands on the leper and touches him and heals him. And all three would have been shock factor for those in Jesus's day. And then Jesus goes and he gets on the boat and you'll know the story. He he shows his power over the wind and the sea and the disciples marvel and they say, even the wind and the sea obey him. And then Jesus continues in this march of, of healing the blind and the lame. And, and, and through this series of, of Matthew recording for us the absolute power of Jesus. And today we come to the culmination of this section, really the crescendo. One of the greatest miracles that Jesus does. Maybe the, the raising of, of Lazarus maybe is the best because Lazarus was dead for four days and the the dead girl that he's going to raise today. But still, when Jesus raises somebody from the dead, and, and you know, this should have been the 10th miracle in these 10 recorded miracles through this section, but it's like the seventh or the eighth in, in this succession. But it is the crescendo where Jesus raises a young woman from the dead that we'll get today. Now, I want to read you guys the story in Luke's account because Luke Luke gives a little more detail into the story. When we go back to Matthew's gospel and we we walk through it today, I'll be using um, some of the details out of Luke's gospel. So I wanted you guys to catch them. Are you guys ready? Two of you are. All right. For the rest of you, just hang out. We'll be right back to you. 
It says in verse 40, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus and he was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus's feet and begged him to come to his house for he had a he had an only daughter about 12 years old of age and she was dying. But he but he went. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So I can relate to Jairus. I have an only daughter who turned two today. Um, her birth mother is here, Macy. I want to introduce you guys to Macy. And so we are so thankful for Macy and we love her so much. And um, when, uh, when Macy made a decision to, to put Gabrielle up for adoption before we even had met her, you know, she, she had a hard time and, and some people gave her a hard time. And, and after last year, Macy came out, she, she said, now I just tell him I didn't give her up. I gave her the best. And, uh, you know, through the process of getting to know Macy and, and Gabrielle, um, God told Lydia and I that we were going to adopt two girls into our family, Macy and Gabrielle, and, and be a part of both of their lives. And, um, you know, it, those, those same folks that, that gave Macy a hard time for her decision, had she chose to have an abortion, would have been fine, right? Nobody would have said a word. But she did the right thing, and she did a hard thing, and a thing that's so, so admirable. Can you imagine that little girl, Gabrielle? being aborted it's happening in our country and we get to see this one and we get to have a success story because because macy made an amazing decision the right decision a hard decision but she chose life and look at the life of that little girl what an amazing life right what an amazing little girl beautiful beautiful little girl and so jay iris has an only daughter that's what i was saying <laughs> And uh, so anyways, again, Macy, we love you so much. We're so thankful for you in our lives and for Gabrielle. And now I do have an only daughter. For whatever reason, I could only make boys. And so God had to give me a daughter a different way. But now we have an only daughter. Where was I? In verse number 43, it says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped and Jesus said who touched me and when all denied it Peter and those around him said master the multitude thronged you and pressed you and you say who touched me wouldn't it be easier to say who didn't touch me because everybody's touching you and Jesus said somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. Somebody say power. So we're going to talk about today. We're actually going to talk about the touch. And now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and she showed and she was healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue, the house, saying to him, Jairus, listen, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him and said to Jairus, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. And when they came into the house, he permitted no one in except Peter, James and John, the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her. But he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside and took her by the hand and called her, saying, little girl, arise. 
And then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately and commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So turn back with me, if you will. You guys have a finger in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to study it in Matthew, but I wanted you to catch a couple of those details so that when I mention them, you will have them. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse number 18. The message today could be titled, Hope for the Hopeless. It it could be titled, um, He Touched Me, or Who Touched Me. It could be titled, The Touch of God. So so many different things that are going to happen in this study that I, I hope we can see today, and I hope we can catch the power of the event that took place on this day. The idea that there was two healings that took place that day and and the correlation, the connection between the two and and the invitation that God has to you in your life today that God absolutely wants to touch your life. You know, the thing about God touching your life is that God is a gentleman and, and God doesn't force himself on anybody. And what God has for you is absolutely the best for you in your life. And he knows that. And so he, he, he does, because of that, you know, push and, and, and call and draw because he wants what's best for you and he knows what he has is best for you. But at the same time, God doesn't do anything in your life that you don't want. God doesn't allow anything in your life that you don't ask for as far as his presence, as far as his touch, as far as his blessing in your life. God absolutely wants to do it, but you have to say yes. You have to say yes to Jesus. You have to receive what it is that he wants to do in your life. You know, you know, this woman in this story, she's going to come broken from behind and reach out and touch the hem of Jesus's garment. And Jesus is going to look around and say, who touched me? And it says everyone denied it. And then Peter, frustrated, says, Lord, everybody's touching you. And Jesus said, that's not the type of touch that I'm talking about, Peter. You you guys have all come to church today. So you guys might all say, you might all fit in the part of the story where Peter says, Lord, everyone's come to church today. Everyone's touched you in some way. They came, they worshiped, they gave, they sang songs, they prayed, they received communion. And the reality is for every one of you here this morning, you, you may feel like, you know, you touched Jesus or you touched church. But I want to tell you there's something deeper And something more powerful and something more meaningful that God really, there's a value of touch that God wants to touch every one of you with this morning. And just as the woman was different than the whole other crowd, because when she touched Jesus, power went out from Jesus into her life. And power will go out from Jesus into your life if you have a real touch with Jesus this morning. If you have a real touch with Jesus in your life, and that's what I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm encouraging today that it's not just the type of touch of all those that thronged around Jesus as you come and rub shoulders at church and, and with the things of, uh, of church that, that make you feel like you touch Jesus. But I'm talking about somebody touched me. <laughs> I mean, that's what, what, did, what did Jesus say? I think that's where, where the Southern Baptist preachers got it from. Because I'm sure in, the, in, in this, this moment when Jesus said this, he said, somebody touched me. Something like that. And Peter's like, Lord, what are you talking about? He's like, no, I perceive that power went out. That, that, that's my version anyways. But that's, that's most likely how it went down. But so let's take a look. It says, 
in verse 18, it says, while he spoke these things, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him saying, my daughter has just died in Matthew's gospel. What did Luke, what detail about that did Luke's gospel give us? This must be a little later in the story because Luke's gospel tells us that when Jairus first approached Jesus, the the girl wasn't dead yet. Jairus left a sick daughter, 12-year-old daughter at home and went to find Jesus. And, and, And after he was there, Jesus delays by the healing of this other woman. And Jairus's servants show up and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. In the time that since you left, she has died. She's now dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. So, so Jairus is there and, and he comes. And now listen, Jairus is, is a ruler of the synagogue. Okay, that means that he was a, a rabbi. He was a, 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 an old rabbi. He was an accomplished rabbi, a teacher of Israel, somebody who was a, a leader of the synagogue. Jesus was a young rabbi. And one of the functions in Israel in those days, you know, the kids didn't go home from high school like our kids and go out to run track or play basketball or football or golf or get on a team and go to practice after school. Every day after school, you went to the synagogue and one of the rulers of the synagogue, one of the old rabbis would teach certain classes that you would take growing up as a Jewish boy. And no doubt Jesus, who followed the law of Moses perfectly, would have grown up in these types of classes and churches and Jewish synagogues that he would have been a part of. Can you imagine being Jesus's teacher, his, his Bible teacher? You got to teach Bible class and Jesus shows up and starts asking questions and forget about it, right? But maybe this guy, Jairus, um, at one point had Jesus in one of his classes as a young boy. And, and the other thing that, that happened is that Jairus's daughter had been sick for a while and he didn't come to Jesus. Now, now, as you know, in the, story, in the Bible, a couple times we see this, this decision that religious folks have to make. Jesus spent most of his ministry fighting with a certain group of people. What group of people was that? Come on, y'all. What group of people? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? You read the Gospel of Luke. Jesus spends 70% of the Gospel of Luke fighting with the religious folks of his day. And so the, 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 the Sadducees and the Pharisees were at enmity against Jesus and they didn't receive him as their Messiah, right? Jesus came to Jerusalem at the end of his ministry and he weeps, the Bible says, over Jerusalem because they missed their time of visitation. They missed the fact in Israel today, they don't receive Jesus as the Messiah, right? We understand that? They missed it. But there are a few who make a decision that are rulers of Israel, that are leaders, that are living under this pressure, who have all of the benefits of this religious system, which means their job, their income, their social structure, everything about their life is tied up in this. And for them to come to Jesus or admit Jesus is who he says he is, or come to Jesus for help or healing or truth, they're going to sacrifice all of that. Do you know what keeps people in religious systems today in our own neighborhood? Same types of things, right? And and so for this guy, he's in this religious system and and he's a leader of the synagogue and he has to come to this young rabbi and he didn't do it immediately. Maybe his wife is at home telling him, you knucklehead, are you going to let her die? You know Jesus is, is the Messiah. You know it's true, but you won't go because of your position and you're afraid you're going to lose your job and your friends. But you know that he can help our daughter. How long before you're just going to go 
How long are you going to be stubborn and, 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 and not help our daughter? Well, finally, Jairus comes to the point where she's sick enough. He goes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, again, if you're Rabbi Shlomo or whatever his name is, and, and our Pharisee Shlomo, and you see Jairus, the, the, the ruler of your synagogue, come and fall at the feet of Jesus, first of all, Jairus is done. He's lost everything of, of who he is and his position, and he's fired. He's gone. But they would have picked up something that we might miss. You don't worship men. You worship God. And when Rabbi Jairus comes and kneels at Jesus' feet and begins to worship him, Everybody would have been, the message would have been very clear that the old rabbi is worshiping the young rabbi at his feet because the young rabbi is none other than, than, than God himself. That, that he's God in the flesh. That he's deity. That he, that he is the savior. He is the Messiah. And so Jairus humbles himself and he comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet and Jesus says, yes, let, let's go. We, I will heal your daughter. And they, they begin to go to Jairus' house. And now Jesus is on his way to, to um, touch a 12-year-old girl who, who is dying and whose father has finally humbled himself enough to, to be desperate enough and hopeless enough that he comes to Jesus. And listen, there is always hope in Jesus. There is always hope in Jesus. You know what the lie of Satan is? Is that there's no hope. There's no hope in your situation. There's no hope in your life. There's no hope for your problem. And that's, the, that's a lie of Satan. There is always hope in Jesus, even when it's hopeless. There's hope. There is hope. There is hope. You, you, know why, you know why people commit suicide? Because they believe a lie of Satan that there's no hope for change in their life. And it's, and it's a devastating, demonic lie from the pit of hell that there's no hope. But Satan can get people to believe it. And they'll make a mistake that they don't get a second chance at. But in Jesus, there's hope. And here we see a couple of people with very hopeless situations. And Jesus gives them hope. And so Jesus gives Jairus hope. And they begin to move towards his house. And all of a sudden, this woman comes. And I'm sure at this point, Jairus is, you know, freaking out a little bit, right? His daughter's sick, very sick at home. And he, he would rather, you know, Jesus hurry up. This woman's been sick for 12 years and has a, had a flow of blood. He's probably thinking, she'll be all right for 12 more hours, Jesus. Let's keep this train moving. And Jesus stops. And the whole thing is so powerfully connected. These two stories. Not by accident. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. But by the power of God. This young girl's 12 years old. And the, the woman that Jesus is about to heal had a flow of blood for how long? One is a, a, a young girl. One is a mature woman. On the year that the woman became sick, the young girl was what? She was born that year. One, one has lived a life of joy as a, just a happy 12-year-old girl. And, and a life of freedom and love. And, and, and another one has been tormented and miserable for 12 years. And Jesus touches them both. And Jesus is going to heal them both. The future generation and the next generation and the present generation as Jesus puts value in all these situations the woman who was you know how many of you guys have been you know in agony for 12 hours 12 days 
you know, this woman for 12 years. And, and Luke's gospel tells us that she, she spent all that she had on doctors. That she came to her end and everything, she had tried everything. Who, which one of us in a situation, if, if, if it was us or a family member who had an affirmity for 12 years, would we not go seek all the medical help that we could get for them? And whatever it would cost us and, and all of the pain. And because of her particular disease, she would have lost everything in her life. She, she was like a leper. You know, a leper was, we've talked about the concept of a leper and being unclean and nobody could touch him or be around him because it was so highly contagious. Very close to that same kind of stigma for this woman who had a flow of blood and everything about her according to the Jewish law would make her and anything that she touched unclean. And anything that she touched, you couldn't touch. So if she sat in a chair, if she leaned against a wall, if she, if she touched a piece of fruit in the market and then put it back down, it was unclean and, and, and disgusting. Her husband had the right, according to the law of Moses, to, to divorce his wife for this condition. So he would have left. And the, the just absolute hopelessness that she is. And she comes. And the other problem is, she, she's not allowed to touch a male. She's not allowed to touch a rabbi. She's not allowed to come because if she comes and she touches the teacher... If she touches the rabbi, according to Jewish law, what happens to the rabbi? He's made unclean. And so she, she has this dilemma that she's facing. And she comes. Look at what it says. Let's look at verse number 19. Or I'm sorry, verse number 20. And so Jesus rose and followed Jairus. And, they, and, they were on, and so did the disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind him and touched the hem of his garment. And for she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. Or wait here and I'll be right back. In the King James Version, if you have a King James Version, it'll, it'll find the word that I'm looking for. I'm coming to Hebrews 4 because it talks about being able to touch God and touching the Lord. In your modern translations, it changes the word touched to sympathized. But the idea is the same in Hebrews 4. I'll read it out of the New King James with a King James uh, accent. And it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Who's our great high priest? Is it Melchizedek? It is Melchizedek is a trick question because Melchizedek is Jesus. So your high priest, Melchizedek after the order of Melchizedek is Jesus. One high priest, Jesus who has passed through the, the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For listen, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time and need. We don't have a high priest who can't be touched. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of God. Let us come and touch Jesus because he can be touched even in our weakness, even in our firmity, that, that no matter where you've done, no matter what you've been, that you can come as this woman and touch Jesus. You know, it's possible that this woman was in a condition because of her own sin, that, that she brought this about, about herself. And I don't know that. But as we talked about last week, that, that there are those um, varying cases in the Bible and some are just because and others are, are brought on by, by sin. Not always, but sometimes. And in this case, it's possible that, that she, she was a, a, a sinful woman. No doubt she had sins. 
But maybe she wasn't a, you know, wasn't a nice gal. And yet it didn't prevent Jesus from touching her. It didn't prevent Jesus from loving her and have compassion on her and, and, and pouring out into her a healing and a touch such as she needed in her hopeless situation. And so Jesus, um, who can be touched, in verse 22 said, turned around, and when he saw her and he said, be, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, the, the detail that Mar- Matthew leaves out between 21 and 22 is the whole discourse, right, that we read in Luke's gospel. And Jesus said, who, what did he say? Touched me. Who touched me? Can't do it very well. Who touched me? So Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter says, well, first it says that everybody denied it. So everybody's like, oh, what's going on? And then Peter says, Lord, come on, everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? And then Jesus explains to Peter that he's not talking about that. He's talking about a different kind of touch. He's talking about an intimate type of touch. Have you experienced that type of touch from the Lord Jesus in your life? Listen, if you have, you won't have to ask your neighbor because you'll know it. You know when God touches your life this way. And what happens is in Luke's gospel, this is what the woman does. The woman who was completely afraid, who completely thought she was doing something wrong, but was desperate and went and did it anyways. Who, when Jesus said, who touched me? tried to hide in the crowd. At some point, she became bold and she came and she says, I'm the one who touched you. And she admitted it says in front of everybody. Why? Because Jesus touched her life. And when Jesus touches your life, you know it. And don't nobody have to tell you Jesus touched your life. And she was so touched and healed, she immediately she felt the healing in the blood and the flow of blood stopped, the Bible says. And because she thoroughly felt the healing and the touch of God, she had a boldness and she came in front of everybody and admitted she was the one that touched Jesus. I touched you. I received the healing. And it says in verse 22, um, Jesus turned around and said to her when she admitted it, be of good cheer. Daughter, your faith has made you well. You know this word daughter that Jesus uses here. It's, it's the type of term that you would use for a little girl in your home. So if you have, um, you know, in my house, that would be baby girl, sweetheart, um, you know, honey, something that you would say. So Jesus says to her, sweetheart, baby girl, don't be afraid. Your sins are forgiven you. You're healed. You don't be afraid. And so Jesus encourages her and he, and he calls her by a term of endearment. And he says, your faith has made you well. And from that very hour, and the woman was well from that very hour. And so she was healed and touched by Jesus. Now, quickly, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But Jesus says to her this statement that we see repeated many times. Your faith has made you well. Now, what does that mean that, that this woman's faith made her well? Does that mean that we, you know, it's, it's, it's the faith that we have in the healing that, that, that it releases the power. Yeah, that's true to, to some extent. But you know, there's other cases in the Bible where the person who was healed didn't have any faith. It was the faith of the people around him. It was the faith of the friends. It was the faith of the people that were bringing Jesus. Or sometimes Jesus would just touch people apart from this. 
But, but there is that thing where Jesus often says your faith made you well. And it's an encouragement. It's a lesson that, 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 that God wants us to believe and to trust. And as we talked about in this front already last week is that, you know, I think all of us believe God can touch us. God can touch your situation. What we don't believe, what we struggle with is, does God want to touch my situation? Is God will, willing to heal me? Well, he's got bigger things to do or, you know, or he, he, I know he can. Physically, scientifically, you know, the power is available. But does God want to touch me? And God wants you to have the faith to believe and to come to him and, and just, just believe by faith that God wants to and will touch your life. And it's not, it's not a blanket policy that God is absolutely going to heal everybody on this side of grace. The Bible says that by his stripes we're he- we, we are healed. And one day you'll receive a glorified body and you will absolutely receive 100% healing promised in the Bible that you'll live with for all of eternity. Some people, you know, you know the thing is for those even that Jesus heals here in this side of eternity, for this woman who had a flow of blood, what, what happened as her life went on? Eventually she did what? She got sick and died. The 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter, who Jesus is about to raise from the grave, what happened to her eventually? She died, right? And so the, the natural thing of life eventually, and so whether God, but the ultimate healing that the Bible promises is, is when you breathe your last and you, you receive that glory.